When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to this latest edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Nebo from NBC5 Chicago, recording, of course, in Bourbon, Illinois. And with me, as always, from Homewood, Illinois, in fact, I'd call him the pride and joy of Homewood, Illinois, it's Jay Zawoski, who does all sorts of fun stuff, whether he's being a country DJ or hosting the I'm Fat podcast or, oh yeah, being an executive producer on one of the uh, top radio uh, sports shows in the city. It's Jay Zawoski, man. What's up, man? Yeah, that's all. That's all I got going on. Nothing else. Oh, my dad had surgery this morning, too. That went well. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a busy Did little bit. Did you perform the surgery? I did while podcasting the I'm Fat podcast. Yep. That is outstanding, man. I removed my father's gallbladder as Rick and I were talking about food. Nope, that's not true. A new I'm Fat podcast is coming on Tuesday because I delayed it, and I prioritized this one because it's been a while, and we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Before we do, I want to let you know how to get in touch with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at MadhousePod. Email us, MadhousePod at gmail.com. We are uh, on Facebook at MadhousePod. Hockey CHI because Madhouse Pod is still taken and a guy won't give it to me. And we're on Instagram at Madhouse underscore pod. So many ways to get in touch with us. A lot to get to today, James. Believe it or not, we are, what, a month away from the opening day of the hockey season? Is it uh, not a mo- less than that? Less August than 1st month, is yeah. when the qualifying round begins. Uh, the NHL released uh, a couple days ago their big plan for how they're going to handle the COVID return. We're going to get into that. It looks like Brent Seabrook is going to give it a go when training camp starts and when the season resumes. So that's huge news. And of course, let's start with the uh, host cities. It looked like at some point last week that Chicago had a real actual chance of being a host city. Then all of a sudden Edmonton and Toronto win the bids. Probably the smartest thing to do considering uh, how well Canada has the COVID-19 pandemic under control. Chicago is doing a really good job. James, I know right before we started uh, recording this podcast, you published some really hopeful numbers as far as Illinois goes. 
So that's great. But uh, overall, the United States is not doing well. So move it to Canada where things are better under control. And uh, hockey is upon us, man. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's, it's almost hard to believe. Well, I think what's what's wild if we want to start with the uh, hub city angle of this is that we for quite a long time, like cons- like during the grand scheme of things, it looked like Las Vegas was a shoe in to host this. Like they wanted to be in Las Vegas so bad with all the hotels and all the amenities that were going to be available. But just the the reality of facts on the ground right now in Las Vegas and the rest of Nevada just doesn't. It didn't fit with what the NHL needed to be seeing in terms of coronavirus cases and testing and all that. So Vegas, which had been this juggernaut runaway favorite, had been mentioned by pretty much everybody as one of the guaranteed sites of this thing, doesn't end up getting it. And this, a similar thing happened with Vancouver, where it looked like they had all the amenities that the NHL was going to need. They have experience in hosting big-scale events like they did with the 2010 Olympics. They didn't end up getting it. And so I think what ended up happening is the NHL decided that Chicago, yes, had the good numbers, had the amenities, had everything. I just think at the end of the day, they probably didn't want to have cities in two different countries and run the risk of like a potential limitation of travel across the border or whatever. They didn't want something like that to disrupt their plans to resume the season. And I think in that spirit, I just don't think it was a smart idea to have two different cities excuse me, in the United States right now to host this thing. And so it makes sense that it's in Edmonton or Toronto, but it's still kind of a bummer because I thought that Chicago had done all the right things in terms of lining things up, getting testing numbers up, getting COVID numbers to start going down. I thought all that stuff had been kind of well figured out, but at the end of the day, they just couldn't justify having cities in two different countries hosting this thing. So I understand it, but obviously uh, mildly disappointed that it won't be here. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. And if you don't know, the Hawks will be playing. You may have said this. I'm sorry. But the Hawks will be in Edmonton playing the Oilers when the qualifying round begins. Uh, I'm not totally disappointed that they're in Chicago. I'm not really disappointed at all. I thought I would be. But then, you know, it just is it's adding another spotlight on the city. And I just I don't know. I just feel like let someone else handle it. (laughs) You know, like we're doing okay. Things in Illinois and Chicago are good. Let's not throw another wrench into things. Let's not distract. Let's not take tests away from people that need it. And really, it doesn't matter because fans aren't going to be able to go anyway. So it's just watching whatever building you prefer on TV. And look, Edmonton is renowned for having the best ice in the NHL. Does that help out a team like the Hawks? Sure. Probably helps out the Oilers a little bit more. (laughs) But right. you know, it's uh it's something and and I'm I'm just glad wherever it's happening, it seems like just based on this plan, it's being done safely and with a lot of things considered and that kind of brings us to um the thing that was released the other day. Now, what I'm leaning on for this because the document is 47 pages and I don't have the attention span to go through the whole thing. I don't think you want to hear it. Um, But there's a couple things I want to run down. So I'm using Scott Burnside and Michael Russo's piece from The Athletic on July 5th. Just a couple things. They they run down the traveling party. Um, There's 52 people in a traveling party. If that includes a physician, if they can't, it's 51. Um, That's a 31-player roster, three coaches, two trainers, and like I said, a team physician, equipment manager, one massage therapist, one psychiatrist slash chiropractor. 
I don't know how That's those things are. That's interesting. Yeah. One content social media creator, one security official, and one representative to serve as compliance officer. Okay. So mm. that means like with the testing and all those things. Um, so it, it's funny is this thing is sort of laid out. They're going to handle testing in, in a number of ways. If, if someone takes a test and they're asymptomatic, they'll be retested. Uh, and if they, if they come back negative, they'll be able to return. People are responsible for if they have symptoms, they have to report it. But this is a really well laid out as far as how they're going to handle things. We've talked about the bubble situation. They're calling it the secure zone hotel. Okay. So, um, it's expected that all participants staying at a secure zone hotel will remain on site at all times throughout phase four. Participants can leave if they are receiving medical assessment or care. They need to consult with or be examined by a doctor of their choice or there are extenuating circumstances like the birth of a child, a family illness or death, etc. The other thing I found interesting in here is the league acknowledges that they need to have some sort of social activity. It says the NHL recognizes the importance of mental health and the psychological benefit of variation in activity. So social excursions will be arranged inside and outside the secure zone, provided that disinfecting and distancing and the use of face coverings and personal hygiene measures can be maintained. Details of available options will be provided closer to the start of phase four, but they're expected to include movies, live music, and golf. So a lot of these things have been considered all these questions we've sort of had, the NHL has seemed to address pretty well. And unless there's a major, major outbreak on the horizon, um, it looks like looks like they're kind of good to go here. Yeah. And it, there were just some really uh, interesting little facets of this whole plan that kind of stood out to me. Like, obviously, the NHL knows that players might have to leave the bubble, so to speak, if there's like a birth of a child or a family death or something like that. Did you know that if they leave the bubble for any of those reasons, if they come back in, they have to have four straight negative COVID tests over a four day span to get back in? That you know, see, that's is interesting, though. Really I, extensive. Well, I heard Sean Doolittle say, too, the baseball player, Washington Nationals pitcher, say, I've taken two COVID tests in the last couple of days, and I still haven't gotten the results of the first one back. So why that am I taking That is something an- that's been going on with uh, a lot of MLB teams, including the Cubs. Chris Bryant and Albert Almora both today said that they had been tested, I think it was a week ago, and then hadn't gotten another test for like five days. And they're supposed to be tested every other day. And then several teams, I think the Oakland Athletics were one of them, they've had test results sitting in some lab for like two days and they haven't heard anything like the, the return on those tests has to be way quicker than that. Otherwise all the contact tracing and all that other stuff that you want to put in on this, it is all irrelevant. If you're testing a guy and then waiting four or five days to get the results like that has to be considered because if you're not able to return those tests quicker than that, nothing else that you're doing is going to matter because those outbreaks can spread so quickly if you don't have adequate and quick testing. That that to me is, it's you know, maybe it shouldn't shock me because under Rob Manfred's leadership, the Major League Baseball has not really impressed me with much of these things at all. And you and I joked, and we even talked about it before we started this broadcast, that like, how in the world is the NHL the one on top of this stuff? It's it's almost staggering. And they sent out a press release earlier today. This is at 10, 10 a.m. on Monday morning 
says uh, NHL Today released the following statement on COVID-19 testing results. Quote, as of Monday, July 6th, the NHL has had 396 players report to club training practice facilities for optional participation in phase two activities. By the way, phase two is what's happening now. Voluntary practices. Phase three is the official opening of training camp that as of this moment is July 13th. Phase four is drop the puck, play hockey. That's tentatively August 1st. So, uh, again, there's been 396 players reported. There have been an excess of 2,900 COVID-19 tests administered administered to this group of players. Those tests have resulted in a total of 23 returning positive uh, test results. In addition, that is an exceedingly low positivity rate, by the way, very low. In addition, since June 8th, the opening of phase two, the league is aware of 12 additional players who have tested positive outside of the phase two protocol. All players who have tested positive have been self-isolated and are following CDC and Health Canada protocols. The NHL will continue to blah, blah, blah. blah. So there you go. Uh, Encouraging numbers so far as training camp opens, when phase three opens on as of today, July 13th, um, I I guarantee you there will be a spike in those numbers and probably those percentages as well. But so far, as phase two is rolling around right now, um, pretty encouraging numbers as far as the test results go. Yeah, definitely. And as we've seen with uh, baseball and several other uh, sports, the NBA also, the as soon as guys get together and as soon as they're doing the well, – I don't even know what they're calling it. Are they calling it like onboarding? Like there's like a technical term that they're using for it. But like you said, Jay, once they get into the facility and once they – you know, are able to get these tests done on all of the players because obviously not all the players have reported in for these voluntary uh, workouts yet. Once they do, we are going to see those numbers go up. But I still, I do take heart in seeing that, you know, it's less than 1% positivity rate on those tests. That is extremely good. And with all the protocols that the NHL has seemingly put into place once they get them into this bubble and once they start to kind of execute the assuming they execute the strategy correctly well like i said adequate testing speed of testing contact tracing etc as long as everybody kind of follows those protocols they'll be in good shape but if you're going to have uh players potentially breaking the bubble like i believe the there was reports that the st louis blues that a couple of their players had gone out to like a bar or something and ended up coming down with COVID. The rules are only as good as the ability of people to follow them. And the NHL has shown that they have a very thorough system in place. I'm just curious to see if these players are going to take it seriously enough to follow all of those guidelines. And the NHL, Jay, you've read this probably a little bit closer in, in more in depth than I have. Is there a punishment for players who end up violating protocols is there a punishment for teams that violate them um i have not seen that yet um but again i'm sure it's in there again it's 47 pages um there's a bunch of rules set i have not seen any sort of uh you know oh here we go sorry i, I my, looked I'm about to say i yeah, looked my page, it up yeah, all we're... right so my my page just jumped on me so here we go okay so penalties for non-compliance this again is the athletic piece uh michael russo and scott burnside Individuals leaving the secure zone without permission may be subject to execution. Oh, that sorry, that's the wrong thing. May be subject to consequences up to and including removal from phase four or in other cases, strict quarantines of up to 10 to 14 days, as well as enhanced testing and monitoring upon return. In addition, 
Established violations of the rules will result in, for clubs, significant penalties, potentially including fines and or the loss of draft choices. For third-party vendors, potential contract termination. For NHL staff, the potential dismissal from the secure zone. So no BS. These are hardcore penalties. Losing a draft pick is huge, and I think that these teams are going to have to communicate to these players the importance of, look, it's a limited time. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs. Please, 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 just for these two or three months, do everything you can. We had Ian Happ on the air on the score the other day on 670 The Score, and he made a really good point about baseball saying, look, whichever team stays the healthiest is going to have the best chance to win because they're going to have their top roster out there every day. Of course, there's teams that are more talented than others, but if one team, even if it's one of the lesser talented teams in the league, has no COVID cases, that's a big advantage. Now extrapolate that over the course of a Stanley Cup playoff. If you're losing a guy for two weeks of the playoffs, you're screwed. I mean, think yeah. about think just even think about the Blackhawks. Like, and I'm not even going to say Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taves. That's a given. But like Brandon Saad or you know Calvin DeHaan's supposed to be back or Connor Murphy, somebody like that goes out for two weeks. That could be fatal to a playoff series. It really could. That could be the difference between winning and losing a series. So I, I think these players get it. I hope they get it. Uh, the NHL has done a fantastic job of laying this whole thing out, and uh, hopefully these guys comply because I think that is a strong point. The fact that whoever stays healthy, whoever stays off the quarantine for two weeks at a time is going to have a really strong chance and a big advantage over the other teams. That's where the veteran know-how comes in, my friend. Follow the rules. You get the benefits. Well, speaking of that, well, before we get to that, let's tell our friends (laughs) about uh, our buddies at Triple Threat Sports. Still churning out those masks. Yep, things are opening up in Illinois, but you still pretty much can't go anywhere without a mask. And to me, that's a good thing. So hit up our guys at Triple Threat Sports, 708-478-6090, or email chris at triplethreatsports.com. You want one mask? They can cover you. You want 10,000 masks? They can get it done. Hit them up. They'll get it done. I They have some really cool, like, logoed masks. I've seen some metal bands. I've seen some comic book characters, some sports teams. So whatever kind of mask you're looking for, even if you just want something plain and sort of inconspicuous, you can get that too. So Chris at TripleThreatSports.com. Again, that number is 708-478-6090. Well, James, you said it. Speaking of leadership, uh, a certain Blackhawk... Looks like, according to Scott Powers, who wrote this on the 4th of July, Brent Seabrook could be back when the Hawks start the qualifying round on August 1st. According to a source, Seabrook is a planning to attempt to play if the season returns. He has not been cleared for contact yet, but he is skating. A source said time would tell whether Seabrook has a realistic chance to play this season, but Seabrook was on track to join the Blackhawks for training camp, which is expected to open on July 13th. So there you go. Hmm. All of a sudden, Jeremy Cowan has a tough decision to make because you've got Keith, you've got Murphy, you've got Boquist, you've got Mata, you've got Calvin DeHaan, you've got Slater Cuckoo. You also have Carlson and Sealer and Gilbert who have played in spells. Maybe Ian Mitchell's available. Is Brent Seabrook better than – is he in the top six there? I don't know. I, but if he's I healthy th- – yeah. I would think that he probably is, and also has more experience, yada, yada, yada. 
Now, I wouldn't take somebody like Adam Boquist out of the mix, obviously, but if you're if you're looking at it just kind of just actually right now, I'd probably rather have him in there than Slater Cuckoo. I think that's probably the decision you would end up making because I think Keith is safe, Mata is safe, Murphy is safe. Like those three obviously are safe. And then after that you start getting and then Boquist, of course. I and then after that then you're looking at probably, like you said, three or four guys at least who are competing for those last couple of spots. Yeah, but if DeHaan, and by the way, and DeHaan's going to be there too, and he's he's got to play, got to be in. Yes. So I think here here's my thought on the whole thing is Brent Seabrook with time to recovery, time to recover, who's actually had these long term problems finally fixed. It is a safer bet if you find out during training camp that he's okay to play to play him over Slater Cuckoo in a short series. Maybe it's a mistake, but if something happens in game one and Slater Cuckoo makes a boneheaded mistake and you had Brent Seabrook sitting there, look, I know everybody's down on Seabrook. Everybody hates the contract. Yes, of course, he's regressed mightily in his hockey ability physically, right? Not mentally, but physically. I still have more faith in a short series in Brent Seabrook than I do in Slater Cuckoo. If he's healthy... If he looks up to speed, you know, physically, I say go for it. Give him a shot. And if he and if he plays game one and just can't do it, and he looks like the same guy who, you know, ended the season this year before he went on the injured list, then maybe you make a move in game two. But game one, I'm putting Seabrook out there if he can go. So say they put Seabrook in mm-hmm. and say the Blackhawks lose either game one or game two. Like they're down, say two nothing in the series. Do you stick with Seabrook at that point, or how long of a leash, I should say, are you giving to Brent Seabrook if he doesn't quite look up to snuff? Yeah, see, I think it's 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 not so much the wins and losses as how does he look himself mm-hmm. in those games. If they lose, but he has nothing to do with it, well, then you probably keep him in. But if he's clearly probably struggling, bench somebody else, then yes, right. If but if he's out there just really getting smoked and you know you know Connor McDavid just flying past him on on the regular then you reconsider things but I do think game one as long as you get a decent look at him in camp I think if he's like oh he might be back right in time for the series to start eh I don't know about that but if he's full participation you know by maybe the 20th of July I'm giving him a go I'm going with him first and and it's pointed out here and Scott Powers' piece, he says, Seabrook has played in 32 games and averaged 1809 of ice time this season. He has the lowest expected goals percentage among the team's defensemen at 41.22. He was on the ice for 17 goals for and 18 against in 5-on-5 five five play. Seabrook especially struggled as a pairing with Mata, but fared much better alongside Calvin DeHaan. So, I don't know. I think if he's ready to go, he plays, and I think he probably should. Yeah, I mean, I know that obviously I've been critical of uh, Seabrook's uh, declining skating ability, etc. I am going to be very interested to see if there's any type of a, if we notice any like big boost in speed. Like if we notice that like he clearly looks like he's skating better with the surgically repaired hips. I like I still can't get over the fact that he had surgery on both of them. Like it's so freaking wild to me. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like he's Coach Ditka with with multiple hip replacements, my friend. 
<laughs> hey, how do anyway. you know what he had done? So maybe he had like robotic. That'd be cool. If he had like robot legs, just don't tell anybody. Yeah, who needs to know? Yeah, you just, you just can't overdo it. You know, you got to turn him down. So he's sure. typical, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. just a little bit faster than Seabrook. Speaking of robot and strength and all that stuff, have you pictures of Duncan Keith, man? That dude is not screwing around during quarantine. Oh, he is jacked. I, always jacked. But he put always. on his Twitter. It was a while ago, but it was just a picture of his back. It's like his back has abs. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> Not bad for 36 years old, right? But you know what? It makes me feel better about the fact he still has three years left on his contract. He, look, Duncan Keith is going to give three more good years of hockey. I'm fairly, I'm fairly certain of that. I don't think that, you know, he might not be Norris Trophy level, but this year for him was pretty solid bounce back. He played pretty well, especially considering that most of the season, just anecdotally, it feels like he spent most of the season with Adam Boquist in like a mentor slash babysitter kind of a role where he probably (laughs) wasn't able to play fully to his instincts. If they pair him and Seabrook together for the first round, who knows? I I just, you know, I two, three more years of Duncan Keith signed me up, man. Maybe the last year looks rough, but I don't, he doesn't seem to show. We keep talking about it. Like, Oh, you know, the decline's coming. Eh. I mean, there was a slight one from Norris Trophy slash cup winner to the guy he is now. But over the last two years or so, I have not seen a precipitous fall in the quality of play he's given. I haven't really noticed that either. I think you're right. I I just was – I wanted to point out the fact that he's had those, like, photos that have been posted of him, and he just looks utterly shredded, dude. Like, that dude has not been taking time off during uh, quarantine, like, at all. <laughs> it's It's been kind of nuts to follow that. Yeah. That, well, that's a dude who lives and breathes hockey. That's that's his life, and he's just – you know, it's funny. As this thing's been going on, we've all been watching those old Hawks games – from the cup years and it's like you forget how great these guys were yeah and not not just like the players but the teams like we just talked last week about marion hosa getting into the hall of fame and god that's already been a week since that happened but just how stacked those teams were but i i've been really focused on brent seabrook during those like okay in 2015 was there a a noticeable decline i think there was i think that's kind of when things started for him when he started mm-hmm. to see, like, oh, he's not quite the same guy he was. Of course, they won the cup that year, but that's you play was... thirty-five minutes a night. That's probably <laughs> going to happen. Yes. Well, that, I've said that all along. Like, th- what you're seeing from Seabrook is natural. A dude who's put that m- much mileage on his body, who's been relatively healthy his entire career, um, logging long playoff series, big minutes every night, plays physical, yep. carries around that big frame. It's just natural. Just because Duncan Keith hasn't had it happen to him yet. The dude's a freak of nature. The chapter in my book coming out in November is about how Duncan Keith is a freak of nature. So, yeah, I mean, oh, by the way, James, I have good news for you. Yes. There is a case of Squatch headed your way. I placed a big order on DrSquatch.com. A lot of our listeners, by the way, have jumped on this and purchased Dr. Squatch using our our promo code Madhouse. What is Dr. Squatch, Jay? What the hell are you talking about? Well, couple months ago, uh, I was fed up. My hands were incredibly dry. Uh, you know, my skin was cracked, bleeding. My hair was literally thinning a little bit, and my scalp was real dry. And I've been getting frustrated. I was just sort of searching around for an alternative to the crappy soap I was buying at 
you know, the grocery store for five bucks for the soap, shampoo, and conditioner combo. Stumbled across an ad for Dr. Squatch Soap Company, laughed at the ad, immediately signed up and became a subscriber, and within days of receiving the product, my skin condition, it, it got so much better. My hands are smooth. Yeah, you ever pick up one of those microfiber cloths, James, like you dry off your dishes with them or whatever? Before Dr. Squatch, I would put my hand on one of those, just my palm, and lift it, and the whole entire thing would come up. I'm not grabbing it. I can just lift it with my dry skin. Now, that doesn't happen anymore. My hands are soft. My hands are smooth. My hair is thicker and healthier. Go to DrSquatch.com. Get yourself a couple thick bricks of soap. Get yourself the hair care kit, and you're going to feel a change immediately. It's all natural. It's made in the USA. Jay, what should I get? I recommend the Pine Tar Soap Bar. That's my favorite. The Cold Brew Cleanse is also wonderful. Both have exfoliants in them to get that dry skin off your body. Top of the page. You'll see the Squatch quiz. Take that quiz and find out what's best for you at DrSquatch.com. Again, use that promo code MADHOUSE to save on your order and help the podcast. If you add 20 bucks to your cart and use that promo code MADHOUSE, you're going to help us out a huge, huge bit. By the way, pro tip, get yourself that soap saver. You're investing in a premium product here with Dr. Squatch. You're going to want to make it last, so get yourself a soap saver to make your investment last longer. DrSquatch.com. Promo code MADHOUSE. All right, James, when we come back 10 years ago on Sunday, Bob Probert passed away. I want to talk about my memories of Bob Probert and uh, kind of a sad story, my front row seat to his decline in health. We'll be right back with more here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile. Empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. want to give a shout-out to our partners at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. It's catching fire, literally, with our audience. I get a lot of emails every week, James, from people who have tried Fry the Coop for the first time, and they are always thrilled. You want the best hot chicken you've ever had? Go to FryTheCoop.com, place an online order there in Oak Lawn, Elmhurst, West Town, and Well Street Market. So many great items on the menu at Fry the Coop. You really can't go wrong. My go-to is just the tenders. Comes with amazing fries. You get three jumbo tenders. I usually go with two medium and a hot because that hot is really, really hot. And I like to challenge myself a little bit. Then there's two more levels after hot. There's crazy and there's little insanity. I don't know anyone who's tried either of them. If anyone has tried it, Email us, madhousepod at gmail.com. We want to hear your story or have, you know, your widow or widower <laughs> write us a letter and let us know how you died eating Fry the Coop. But it, tenders, it sounds kind of boring to you. I get it. You haven't had them yet, right? How about the chicken and waffles? Guess what, James? The waffles? Yeah, they have bacon in them. How about that? Hot maple syrup, <laughs> spiced butter. How about a donut fried chicken sandwich? Fried chicken pickles, special sauce on a glazed donut. If I have not hooked you by now, there's something wrong with you. It's a you problem, not a me problem, mister. 
Go to frythecoop.com, check out their menu, check out their locations, and place your first order. I promise you, you will be thrilled. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. All right, so James, before the break, we teased a little something. Um, You know, I have talked a lot about Bob Probert on this show before, and yesterday, July 5th, marked the 10-year anniversary of his death. I know you're significantly younger than me. At least that's what you tell people. What are your memories <laughs> before I get into my not so great story about Bob Probert? What are what are some of your memories of Proby the player? Um, I think the way I don't remember a lot of like specific instances uh, during Bob's career, like his career doesn't obviously stand out to me the way that say like a guy like Duncan Keith or Brent Seabrook or those guys who kind of came along from like 2005 on. Probert obviously was around pretty early in my hockey fandom. I'm not that much younger than you. I'm like four or five years younger than you, so shush. Anyway, (laughs) but what I remember mostly about Bob Probert is I guess I would compare him to probably a good comparison, at least the way that I perceived him when I was like a kid, was somebody like Scott Stevens, where he just was like this like one-man wrecking crew that my eye would just instinctively go towards because you would un- you would probably assume he was either going to hit somebody or he was going to punch somebody. Like that was just kind of like the style of his game, I think. And Scott Stevens of the Devils was definitely like that for me as well. So I think like I obviously I don't have a lot of memories of him. I know he was with the Blackhawks for several seasons. Obviously there's things that kind of like pop up here and there but it was around that time they had started kind of trading some of my favorite players and like the interest had waned a little bit and I was looking at hockey more on the national perspective I guess just because of like who ESPN covered in those times and the fact that home Hawks games weren't on TV but like I said whenever I would watch Probert play whether it was like toward the tail end of his Red Wings tenure or when he was with the Blackhawks he definitely was that like Scott Stevens type of player for me. Yeah, so I know we have a lot of podcast listeners who became Hawks fans when the Hawks got good, and that's totally understandable, which means you missed the Bob Probert era. Probert played primarily for Detroit. He played nine years in Detroit, um, where he was a very good player, but the most feared heavyweight maybe in the history of the game. He played seven years with the Hawks. Uh, He was still an effective player, but not quite the same guy he was in Detroit very publicized drinking and cocaine problems. There are urban legends about his Gatorade bottle being laced with cocaine. If you watch the documentary or read the book, Tough Guy, the Bob Probert story, it's on Amazon Prime Video. You can watch it for free if you're a Prime member or just read the book. Probert details his struggles with cocaine um, throughout his career, and, and a lot of that is what caused... Probert to have the intensity he did on the ice. He was a bit of a shy guy uh, without the uh, assistance of, uh, you know, um, narcotics uh, and and found that edge uh, by using drugs. And, and the story is very sad. And, and I'm, you know, I, I, I don't want to get on the high horse here, but I know people have recently started to discover with the, um, you know, the George Floyd murder and the subsequent protests, white people are looking at themselves differently and looking at history differently. And if you're looking for an, an example of what white privilege is, watch that documentary and read that book and ask yourself, would Bob Probert, how many times would he have been imprisoned or killed by police had he been a black man? Just ask yourself that. But moving on from that, Bob Probert 
was one of my favorite hockey players ever. James, like you said, uh, just unpredictable, wild, in an era where fighting was rampant, Probert was the best and the most feared. Go on YouTube and type Bob Probert fights and you will get yourself in a wormhole. But there were two against Ty Domi that are absolutely unforgettable. And Ty Domi, who was with the, I think he was with the Rangers at the time of this one, Probert is just, he's got Domi's arm locked. Okay, so Probert's got his left arm extended and Domi's sort of stuck. And Probert's hitting him with uppercuts with the other hand over and over and over. He probably lands like eight to 15 uppercuts. The, they spin around and Domi is laughing. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's the wildest thing you'll ever see. So as a huge Hawks fan, um, you know, Bob Probert comes to the Hawks in uh, 96. I'm sorry, 95, 96. He comes that season, signs as a free agent. There's all these sort of clauses in his contract about substance abuse, all these things, blah, blah, blah. The first Hawks jersey I bought with my own money was a Bob Probert jersey. I got married in uh, May of 2008 when we had our wedding reception. I wore a Bob Probert jersey when we walked in to the reception. That's how much he meant to me. When he was done playing hockey after the 2001-2002 season, the Blackhawks sent him to be on the score as a pre- and post-game host with Jesse Rogers, who now covers the Cubs for ESPN. I was the producer of those shows. That was kind of my first uh, big assignment as a producer at the score. And it was, you know, they say don't meet your heroes. And um, Mm -hmm. this was the first time I learned that lesson. Uh, And at the beginning, Bob was great, like super nice guy, really into it, wanted to learn, wanted to be good at the job. Brought his daughters with him who were just trying to do the math in my head, maybe like nine and 11 like those ages, like pretty young, he would bring them to the broadcast with him, even for night games. They would be there with him in the studio and they would hang out and then he'd leave the show and go home. And for the first couple weeks, first couple months, everything started going great. Then there were a couple games where, you know, last minute Bob wouldn't show up or, you know, he would come, but he'd be just drenched in sweat and really ornery and angry and uh, difficult to deal with. And then after a while, he just stopped coming all together and he relapsed. That's what happened. And for me to see that firsthand was, you know, look, I grew up very sheltered. I grew up in Oak Lawn. I, I didn't, you know, I have a lot of history of alcoholism in my extended family, um, but, you know, never to the point where it affected me on a daily basis and especially like drug use like that. But to see it unfolding in real time was very eye opening for me. And it took away a little bit of my innocence as not just a person, but as a sports fan of man, I heard the rumors of cocaine, you know, at that point, like, wow. Oh yeah. He takes cocaine. And like, to me, then it was like cocaine might as well have been a fantasy item. Like it's just a word I heard and I knew it was a drug, but I didn't know the actual effects of it. I did, but I hadn't really experienced it. You know what I'm saying? Well, Mm -hmm. I experienced it working with Bob Probert and, uh, it's just tragic, man. And, And you read the story, he was getting things back together um, figuring things out. And as you watch this documentary, I, you know, the book is great, but the documentary shows a lot of home videos of him with his girls from when he was not clean to where, you know, he's laying on the couch and they're trying to play with him, and he's just, you know, non-responsive to them, just completely, I don't want to say comatose, but you know what I mean? Just totally out of it, totally high. 
um, can't even respond or play with his kids. Then as it goes on, you start to see how he's bouncing back a little bit. And then he has a heart attack on a boat. It's just really, really sad. I know it's not the most uplifting thing in the world to watch right now, but if you've got some interest in Bob Probert, um, read the book, watch the documentary, and learn a little bit. Uh, it, it's His childhood, as you'd predict, was was not great. Um, and I think the story is that he left for junior the day after his dad died. So he had like, and that was the first time he had left home and he was home alone days, like literally the day after or days after his father passed away. And he had to sort of mourn that death on his own. And that's sort of what led him down those dark roads. So I highly recommend it. It's called tough guy, the Bob Probert story. Get the book. It's an autobiography. Probert wrote it. And then the documentary is great as well. Check him out. By the way, um, I, I, wanna, I, I can't believe it's been that long since he passed dude, away, know, man. I know that was a really hard one for me. Like even knowing and, and getting to know his daughters a little bit, you know, they're kids. And now you see him on this documentary and they're like really beautiful young ladies, uh, you know, well into adulthood and just remembering their dad and remembering his decline. It's like, man, I was there for that. I had a front, I literal, a literal front row seat to Bob Probert's decline. And it was very, very sad. And, uh, but I love watching the guy play. He was always one of my favorites. Uh, and it wasn't just because he could fight. He also could play. He was a good player. And you see in a documentary, he was line mates with Steve Eiserman a lot. You can't, don't just yep. pop a goon on there. Bob Probert could play the game. He was an all-star at one point. Uh, he had a 29 goal season in 87, 88. So in 74 games, Probert had 29 goals, 33 assists, 398 penalty minutes that is such an astounding number <laughs> yes i like can't even pull that kind of a number off on like nhl 20 like even if you like turn down all of like the settings and you're playing it on like the easiest setting possible you could like score you know some goals i don't think i could rack up 400 penalty yeah, minutes. he had two other two other seasons of 300 plus penalty minutes 90 91 he had 315 96 97 he had 326 uh that was with the Blackhawks in 96 97 but I'm telling you the guy could play he was a hell of a player I don't know if he'd be able to play in this NHL but in the clutchy grabby NHLs of the 90s and and early 2000s Bob Probert could play the game also scored the final goal ever in Maple Leaf Garden that that is an interesting factoid that I did not know now you know what else do you need know. to know, by I, the I way? I was today years old. <laughs> oh, God. I was today years old when I learned this. I love that. That's a that's a new meme that I really appreciate. I was today years old when I learned that. That's good. That's clever. Whoever came up with that, bravo. Uh, speaking yeah, of... Yeah, you, you get credit from us. Yeah. Uh, we got to tell you about our friends at Marish, because in Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street, family-owned and operated since 1933. Go get yourself a poor boy. Go get yourself the steaks, the chops, the seafood. Lately, James, I have been dreaming about that twice-baked potato... Oh, man, I don't know what it is. Something about the hot weather is just making me crave that. I'm getting out to Marishka soon. I keep saying it. I keep threatening it, but things keep coming up. I am going to make it a point. By the end of this month, I will go to Marishka's. You have my word. If not, I buy everyone in the audience a poor boy. Okay, now I have to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'll be going to visit Joe and his Dralovich family at Marishka's in Crest Hill. Again, Marishka's.com, Facebook.com, slash Marishka's. They're closed only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. Go have one of the best meals you've ever had. 
you know, they'll bring it out to you, all those things. Mariska's is open for business and thriving, and that's all you need to know about a place that's been open since 1933. James, you saw something of interest on The Athletic today as well. Can you share with the class, please? Why, certainly. I was, you know, I'm in a hockey mood right now. Like, I know it's the middle of summer. It's been in the 90s every flipping day for like a week now. I know everybody's kind of craving uh, the return of hockey just to give us something to take our minds off of, you know, the insane heat trap that we apparently now live in. Yes. And that came for me today. That dis- that distraction came in the form of a story by Scott Wheeler of The Athletic ranking the top 50 drafted NHL prospects. Now, his criteria for this list is that the player has to be under the age of 23. They cannot currently be in the NHL for the most part. There are a few exceptions here and there for guys who have played like maybe a couple of games or something, nothing crazy. And they either had to be selected in the entry draft or – that to be signed to their first NHL contract, like their ELC. So those are the criteria. And the Chicago Blackhawks, I, I know this might, you know, be a little bit surprising perhaps to some people, maybe not, have exactly zero players on this list. Well, that's not great. <laughs> that's not great. No, it is not. And, I- and Scott did point out that part of the reason for that is that Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist are both in the NHL. He said that if either of those guys were not in the league, they pro- they would have been on the list for sure. But since they're not, they left off several uh, guys that I would probably consider to be at least in that conversation of being on the list. But, you know, just kind of wanted to uh, hear your thoughts on that. I'm seeing a lot of like Philadelphia Flyer logos here. I'm seeing some Hurricanes logos. The Abs have two players in the top five, which is just wonderful. Byron That's Bowen. so nice that or they Bowen have Byram. that. Bowen Byram's got to be Bowen Byram is number five on the list. Did you want to take a crack, Jay, at the number one player on the list who is not currently in the NHL? Uh, I, w- I would actually vote that it's him, but is it um... – He was drafted in 2019. In fact, the top five players are all 2019 Turcotte, Alex Turcotte, Dylan Cousins, one of Alex those guys? Alex Turcotte is number seven. He is one of two kings in the top eight. Alex Turcotte and Arthur Kaliev are right, both give, on the list. Give it to me. It is Dylan Cousins of the Buffalo Sabres. Okay. They need them. I can go with that. I Very <laughs> strong candidate. Another guy I had thought of potentially was Cole Caulfield. He is currently number three on the list. Um, I also had wondered if they were going to have Evan Bouchard on the list, the defenseman for – Edmonton, he is number 12. So I guess I'm somewhat surprised Ian Mitchell's not on there, but there's no one else who I feel like is a clear, like you said, not, Nick, was, not Nicholas Bodan. Now, I mean, look, think about it. I thought it, Nicholas Bodan might have been on there, but, but I, other than that, I think you're right. But think about going into this year, we were all sort of thinking about Bodan as a bust. Like, eh, why haven't we heard? Why hasn't this guy been up yet? Why hasn't he played yet? Why hasn't he looked better? Then he came and played one game before everything got shut down. Looked good in that one game. But I, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to call him a top 50 prospect yet because that includes all the guys who are entering this draft as well. So mm. it's, you know, that that kind of you're going to go. Well, no, it's no no uh, 2020 players oh, are on that list. My bad. Okay. They have to cur- they have to currently be on 
they have to be currently the property of an NHL team to be on the list. Okay. Okay. But still, I mean, aside from Mitchell, there's, I, I don't know, like, who else, who would you make the argument for? Bodan? Eh. You know, 50 is not yeah, that Yeah, Bodan many. was the only other guy that really came to mind for me. I honestly, like, looking up and down the Blackhawks, like, kind of prospect depth, there really wasn't anybody else that really stood up. I mean, are you really going to, like, sit there and try to – argue that Alec Regula should be on the list I don't think so no there's like yeah there's no clear omissions there yeah I don't, I don't think I, I, I don't know I I, th- I just thought it was interesting that not a single Blackhawk uh ended up making the list but then like I said you look down it and you see uh teams like the Avalanche who have two in the top five you have the Kings who have three in the top 11 You've got multiple Senators players, a boatload of Flyers players. Like there are, there are teams that have some really good prospects. Just the Blackhawks, they don't have the prospect depth that those other teams do. Yep, you're right about that. I mean, and hopefully that you know we're still kind of remains to be seen whether or not Kirby Doc was the right choice over Bowen Byram. We'll find that out. And you know, I think you could probably make that call in three or four years. It's it's tough because defensemen typically develop more slowly too, but. I like what I've seen right. from Doc. I think everybody's pretty happy with it. The numbers aren't huge, but you've seen exponential growth from game one to... I say they were also getting better before the season st- uh, stopped. Yeah, and let's hope that doesn't stunt things for them uh, long term. Anything God, else you want to add, or are we ready to wrap this puppy up? I just thought it, I, I thought that was worth pointing out. Like, not to, like, kind of, yeah. you know, hit Blackhawks fans with, like, a shovel on the way out, but, you know, just yeah, kind of... Th- Kind of stinks not seeing any guys on that list. Well, the fact that, you know, Doc arrived maybe sooner than expected. There was some question if he'd be NHL ready by, you know, by the time this season rolled around back in October. And he was there the entire year. And and for the most part, aside from a couple throwaway moments, he looked the part and fit in very well. So, and of course, uh, Boquist, very similar. Kind of jumped up maybe a little sooner than expected. For some people, but after, uh, you know, he had maybe a week or so where you were like, eh, maybe he should go down, but everything sort of turned back around and he looks to be the guy we all thought he would be too. So that, that to me, that sort of eases the sting a little bit. Had Doc and Boquist looked like crap all year or spent the majority of the season in Rockford and not been on that list, then I'd be a little concerned. But yeah, I mean, your two best guys are here and they're contributing and uh, hopefully we'll contribute to this uh, play-in round that's starting on August 1st, less than a month away from hockey resuming. So close. Oh, man. Well, let's wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. For my partner, James Naveau, my name is Jay Zawoski. Of course, you know, it's been a while since we've done an episode, but hockey's ramping back up. As it does, the news will ramp up with it, and we'll have a lot more to talk about. So stick with us here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, and when the sport actually returns, we'll be with you several times a week talking Blackhawks. So tell a friend before the season resumes, let them know about the Madhouse podcast and uh, tell them to rate, subscribe, review, all those great things. And we will talk to you next time when James Naveau and Jay Zawoski reunite for the next episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop.